Welcome to the Crypto Campfire. They've never not found Waldo, Mitch, and the Professor, featuring special guest Chris Thompson. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Crypto Campfire Podcast. This is the Professor. And Mitch. And today we're going to be talking with Chris Thompson. You've seen him around Twitter, and I would call him a thought leader. Uh, I don't know if he would necessarily call himself that, but I would call him a thought leader and totally focused on positivity, and he puts out a lot of positive energy into the space, and uh, I've been appreciative of his presence on Twitter for quite a while now, so I'm excited to talk to him. But before we start talking to Chris, let's grab that crypto news from the Crypto Gent. Thanks, Professor. Hello, Crypto Campfire listeners, and welcome to the Crypto Guys News in a Flash with the Crypto Gent. DeFi market shaken by another attack with losses worth $450,000. Chromeway spearheads the property chain initiative in South America with LHC chain, and South Korea is leveraging blockchain in the battle against diabetes. That's the Crypto Guys News in a Flash with the Crypto Gent. And it's back to you, Professor. Thanks a lot, Crypto Gent. So Mitch, a lot of people are talking about trying to reopen the government and you're in Michigan and I see that they're trying to kind of go the opposite way and they're getting a little yeah. more strict. How's that? How's it's, that treating you? Uh, it's, it's frustrating um, to the point like, okay, so you can go to the home centers, like say Home Depot or Lowe's and you can buy what they're calling essential, um, essential products. So you can't go and buy paint. So, you know, you're, you're stuck in your house and you can't even like, you know, paint in the spring. You can't, you can't do anything like that. Um, you can't buy dirt or, uh, you know, what's that wood chips or anything to put around your trees or work out in the yard. It, it, it's like they, they don't consider those things essential. And, you know, I've been sitting there thinking about that the last few days. I'm like, well, who determines what's essential? Really, because when you talk about somebody's mental health, when you talk about somebody's mental status, they're stuck at home, they can't associate with family, they can't associate with their neighbors, they can't really associate with people at the store, you can go to the store, get what you need and go home. What kind of a what kind of a life is that? And then to not be able to do things that make you feel good within your home, like painting or refreshing it or, you know, doing stuff like that. So I'm just a little frustrated on where the line's drawn for what's considered essential. Drawing that line is definitely a tricky, tricky subject, too. It's, you know, like you say, who makes that determination and on what basis do we make it? Because essential is going to be so much so broadly different for each individual person. You know, like for you, construction supplies might be essential because it's your way of providing for your family. That's your job. That's what you do at your home. And you're not getting an unemployment because you are self-employed. So you haven't qualified right. for that. And so, you know, I don't know. It seems like it's different classifications. But at the same time, what is too far? and What are we allowing too much? And how do we find the balance and the right time frame to make this all work so that we actually do what we need to do responsibly to uh, try and tackle this problem, but without totally causing mass destruction and <laughs> total chaos. So. Right. Well, like tomorrow I'm supposed to go do a, a, a siding job. Right. And it's just me and my, me and my neighbor, we've been doing stuff with, you know, working, I've been helping him work on his house and stuff. We're, we're both uh, social distancing. So, you know, we're, we're working that angle. Well, tomorrow we're going to go do this job. And I'm like, you know, people have been getting pulled over for stuff like that. And I'm going to like say, Hey, 
you know, at this, you know, if the officer says, well, this, that's not essential. Well, guess what? I don't have any income. My family's hungry. I have to put food on my table. That's essential. And if you want to give me a ticket for that, so be it. But you know what? Let's, uh, that's, you know, it, it's a big rabbit hole. We can continue to go down. Oh yeah. Let's uh, talk about that for hours. <laughs> let's bring, let's bring Chris in and see what he's got to say. Most definitely. Chris, welcome to the show, man. What's going on? Oh, happy to be here. You know, the weather is great in Tampa, Florida. Happy to live in a place where I can kind of still go outside and walk around a little bit and not have to freeze. <laughs> but uh, just like you guys were saying, you know, we just got recently posted down here a curfew. I think it's our 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. Uh, pretty much everybody off the streets. And if it's not essential, like you said, yeah, I don't know if it's going to work or coming from work or if you're going to the store, you're going to get a big ticket. And we just had the Institute a couple of days ago. So just kind of getting our hands around that. We got a couple of young boys here home from college. I think it's even tougher for them than us because, you know, they want to go, go, go. But, uh, hey, you know, it's given us you know, an opportunity to kind of be together as a family again, because we were kind of empty nesters. So it's, it's definitely changed the dynamics of our family 100%. So you were recently in Vegas, right? Early March? Yes. Was that before or after they shut down all the casinos? It was before I just we just got in before all that stuff happened. And we left that Saturday before they pretty much closed everything down. So that 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 one week window we had where we're able to enjoy everything and then get the heck out of Dodge before it all came crumbling down. That's Could crazy. you imagine being in Vegas right now? What it would look like. That's on the what script? I was going to, that's what I was oh wondering. Like, what was it like during that whole thing? I was, I was wondering if you were there like just right after that happened. I couldn't remember what the days were, but no, but the thing about it was, first of all, like I had been there like maybe, I don't know, 20 years before. And I, I knew what the strip was like. The, the strip was nothing like it. I remembered it. There wasn't as many people. I mean, all the shows we went to, we, we were able to go in. There's no lines. We went on zip lines. We, we went in the Mob Museum. We did all the different sightseeing things in Vegas, and it was like no line. It was just, it was, it was people, but it wasn't the normal Vegas mob on the strip that you would see. So we had a really good time because we got the chance to do so much more than we would normally do. But when we left that Saturday, and we were, we were catch me took an Uber to the airport. The guy said, are you, are you guys sure your flights are still go? Cause they're canceling flights. We were like, are you kidding me? So we were really nervous about that. So we got to the airport, our flight was still a go, but this is how crazy it was. We were on a Southwest airline, yeah, Southwest airlines from Vegas to Orlando, like 35 people on the plane. All, everybody had a separate row. And it was sleeping. That, that, that flight was normally going to be like 200 people, but there was nobody on the flight. I don't know if people left early, if they didn't make the flight, but, you know, we made it back to, to Tampa just in time. And the next week we saw on the news where, you know, they had closed everything down and the strip was basically, you know, barricaded up. So we were happy to be back in Florida. I tell you that. Yeah, I think a lot of people were afraid to kind of travel during that time period, you know, the late February, early March period before everything yeah. was officially closed down because they're like, well, what if I get somewhere and then I can't make it back? What am I going to do? Yeah. So I think there was a lot that, that's probably what was reflecting in the 
the nice comfy flight for you. <laughs> no, there was there was some wishful thinking. My my wife went on a flight and she went out of the state. She went to go visit our daughter, and I mean, right after the governor here had declared, you know, the shutdown and people stay home and all that stuff. And her flight was still a go. And I was like, well, maybe she'll get quarantined in Minnesota. <laughs> but then I was like, that would be really bad. <laughs> oh, shit. So you're uh, saying that I need to put an edit mark at six seconds? <laughs> no, that's all right. She, she knows. Oh, man. I tell you. Uh, so, you know, speaking of that and speaking of COVID 19, and, you know, what are your thoughts on the apparent fear mongering that's being? used to push agendas right now it it seems like you know they're they're at such an extreme with everything that's happening and how they're going about it and it just seems like there's a lot of other agendas that are getting pushed into it you know I've kind of I've like been on a roller coaster ride with this whole topic I mean at first when I first heard about the whole thing coming out of Wuhan and I really listened seeing the bad tweets, I was like, man, that's weird. I mean, eating bats, okay. And then next thing you know, it's people started talking about it, starting to spread. And I was like, you know, like anything else, oh, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, because you kept seeing all these things saying guns kill people. How many, how many, how many people died of the flu? And it was still a small number. But, you know, I have to admit, as it's gone more and more and more, I didn't really know anybody, but now it's getting to the point where it seems like I'm getting to know people now. I mean, you know, when it's like, when it's nobody that you know, it doesn't really hit close to home. But when you start, when it starts getting close, you're like, man, this really is real. You know, my friend's grandmother is really sick. A couple people in my church got really sick. So I definitely think it's real, but I don't, the fear mongering as far as, you know, not being able to go out the six feet. I just don't know if that's all necessary. I mean, I'm definitely all for precautions, but I'm like you and I'm thinking that maybe this is the perfect opportunity to have that, I don't know, that global, that financial, that economic transformation. If there was ever a time to do it, this would be the time to do it now. You know, they're talking about, you know, the vaccines and, big pharmaceutical that's big time money they're talking about inoculating you they're talking about using your phones to track who has it who doesn't have it that that stuff is pretty scary to me so i think it's real but i think that it's minor in compared to the drastic measures that they're taking to try to control it i got a feeling there's a big agenda behind all that i agree i i think i think we are you know, at a point where it's like the struggle is knowing what to listen to and what not to, you know, knowing who Mm -hmm. to listen to or determining, you know, who's saying stuff out of facts or who's, who's twisting those facts to push an agenda. And, you know, you hear one side and you hear the other and it's like, well, where's the middle ground? What, you know, is this, are they pushing the extremes and is big pharma a play in it? You know, I've heard that, high dosages yeah. of vitamin C boosts right. your immune system. And if you got a healthy immune, immune system, this is going to be like nothing, comp- you know, compared to somebody that doesn't have a, a good immune system or has pre-existing conditions. So, you know, are, 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 is everybody the ones that need to be sheltered or is it just the ones that are high risk? 
and not being a professional and not being, you know, into that side of things from the medical side makes it challenging as a, as an individual for sure. Uh, yeah, it, it's, 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 it's actually pretty scary. I mean, I went out today, I had a, a, a doctor's appointment and I was like the only one that didn't have a mask on. I actually felt kind of weird. Like, Oh, I don't have, you know, it's like, cause everybody had one on everybody and I didn't, and I haven't worn one yet. I, I still have to buy one or figure out where to get one from. But you know, it's like, I feel like an outcast, like, cause I don't have a mask on. So I don't know. It's just, it's very, very strange times, man. Very strange times. Strange times is, is like, usually that's not an understatement, you know, cause usually things are a little <laughs> bit normal, but that's like the biggest <laughs> understatement. Uh, I, I think going back to the agenda side of it, there's, you have to look at the cause and effect relationships and really determine whether some of those issues or some of those agendas lie maybe on the other side. And a lot of times we think that maybe those agendas start some of this, but I think it's definitely that this sort of event happens and then there's opportunistic people that take advantage of the new circumstances to push their agenda. And I think those are definitely going to be some of the biggest issues that we see, like Chris was saying, the, uh, some of these things that are coming out of this are going to be really mind blowing and altering to society on the long term. So I think it's important to be careful going forward that everybody actually pays attention to laws that are being passed and things that they're voting for and this kind of stuff. Like I, how many people actually read bills before they vote for anything? Yeah, you, know? yeah. you can't read the 500 page bill for every fucking thing that you, that you have to go place a vote for, but trying to actually go out and, put eyes on some of this stuff and at least read some of it and at least see the text that's there instead of just reading what the news tells you. I don't know. You just have to be more aware and, and do your own research for reals because people don't ever do that. And it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> well, I think the biggest thing is being critical of everything. You have to be critical of everything. You have to be a critical thinker yourself. You have to be able to think for yourself. And you know, the biggest question that you need to, and that anybody should ask themselves is, does that make sense? Right. Yeah. And, you know, when you start asking real questions and, you know, um, being that way and not just taking everything at face value, uh, you know, that critical thinking is, is key. Yeah. One of the things that I, I kind of struggle with is that whole debate on how long should we wait before we get people back to work? Because it's kind of like, Damned if you do, damned if you don't. So if we decide that right now it's kind of like the end of April, but people are saying it could be the end of May, it could be the end of June, it could go on to July. If people don't work for five or six months, what are they going to do? I mean, that stimulus check, not everybody's going to get it. And that money is going to go towards essentials, which is going to be gone in a month. What are people going to do at the same time if they decide to bring everybody back too early and everyone's back in the workplace? What does that do? Does it mean that it just stays on forever and there's more of a pandemic? So, you know, from a leadership position in the White House and the people that make those decisions, that is a very, very tough call. I don't know if I want to be the one to be able to make it, but how long can people stay away from work and the economy just goes in the tank? If the economy tanks, what does that mean? Do people start riding the streets, martial law, theft, looting? So it, it's a tricky balance. The question that comes to my mind is how resilient are we as a society and how skilled are we with the tools that we have at our disposal to make the shift to 
um, oh fuck, we have to do this for the next five years. Now we're just working remotely and we've, we've adjusted. Uh, There's going to be like, yeah. if, if that ever happened, the transition period would be awful, but how long does that transition period last and how, how soon does it take to, or how quickly can we build out of that rubble of disaster, uh, an actual functioning ecosystem of remote workers yeah. and, and actually process all this because there's so much that can be done remotely, like factory work that yeah. is automated. You can, you know, start having people control those machines from their house instead of sitting in the office. You know, there's not all of it can be totally remote, but there, you can severely cut down on the number of people and easily maintain like social spread. This guy maintains the machines in this hundred foot square foot radius or whatever, you know, I mean, there's a lot of ways to do this and it's not crazy for me to think that we might end up doing that within the next five years where pretty much everybody is working remotely because we've found a way to automate just about everything else. Well, from a cost standpoint, it seems to make sense, you know. Well, and how much more time do we have to work if we are all, you know, yeah. we'll be way more efficient. <laughs> well, for sure, for sure. I mean, you know, it's it's a, per, a perfect example would be employers that started um, having areas for their employees to actually go and grab a lunch within the building. Um, and, you know, like I, I know an employer that I work for, they now have like a lunch area set up and they got coolers and you can get, you know, food out of the coolers and it's free. You can get, you know, pops, drinks, water, you know, they look at it like, yeah, it's costing us money this way, but the savings from people going to lunch and then, you know, they're leaving the building. They're not there. Most people, when you're at the building, you go grab something to eat. You might socialize mm -hmm. for a few minutes. You go back, you sit down at your computer and you might eat and work at the same time. So, you know, there, there, there's all different kinds of ways of, of thinking it. But, you know, I think the biggest thing is the basic hygiene. You know, don't go to work if you're sick. And, you know, we need to get back to life, but at the same time, I think we need to do, do so differently. You know, yeah. I have, I've washed my hands. I've always been a, a <laughs> fairly hygienic person, but nothing right. like I am now. I know. Right. And so, you know, keeping those same, that same thought process going into, okay, we're, we're, everything's coming off. We can go back to work. Are we going to go right back to where we were? Or are we going to do things differently? And I think that's where the government, the people need to not rely on the government to tell us how to live our lives. We have to yeah. be mature enough and responsible enough to live our lives in a responsible manner and take, take ownership of our own actions and how we proceed in life. So they can just put out the guidelines, but they can't live it for us at the end of the day. So Chris, let's take this back. <laughs> let's go back in time to when you first discovered crypto. Tell us how that came to be and what part about crypto got you hooked? All right, I got into crypto specifically in November of 2017. I went to my high school reunion, my 30th year high school reunion. We had, you know, went to the events of the school, saw a football game, hanging out with old buds, and then they had a party at one of the guys' house where we all got together and just kind of got a chance to meet people face-to-face -face and shoot the breeze. I had stayed there for about an hour and a half, and I was getting ready to leave because I was staying with my parents, and I just wanted to, I think I was leaving the next day, so I wanted to leave a little bit early so I could just hang out with them a little while before I head back down to Tampa. When I was basically walking out the door, I saw this guy named Scott Byron, and he said, hey, Chris, what's going on, man? You can't leave without saying hi to me. Good friend of mine in high school. I did Not a person I kept in touch with at all. 
but you know, we were cool 30 years ago. So he said, I, I said, sure, okay, what's up, Scott? How you doing? He introduced me to his wife and everything. We started talking a little bit. I said, what are you up to? He's like, things are going good, man. I'm getting moved to Hawaii with my wife and my, my two, two daughters. I'm like, you're moving to Hawaii? He's like, yeah, we're moving to Hawaii. I'm like, wow, that's fantastic, man. What happened? Did you just get independently wealthy? He said, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? I was like, no, what's that? And guys, that was it. From I, I was supposed to leave there like in five minutes. I ended up staying there for another maybe 45 minutes as he talked to me about Bitcoin, what it was, how he got involved in it. You know, he tried to give me the gist of it. I had tons of questions and I said, hey, listen, give me your number, give me your email address and we're going to hook up again. And I left and went home. I got home maybe like 1130. My parents, they're in the bed. I was like, mom and dad, I'm home. You know, it's the same old thing. No matter how old you get, your parents are still the same. I kept them up. I was like, mom, dad, have you ever heard of Bitcoin? They're like, no, what's that? It's like, well, it, it's like, well, it's 11.45 in the morning, Chris. I said, nah. Well, how much is it? It's like $6,200 six, six $6, for one Bitcoin. Well, let's talk about it tomorrow. I said, mom, we can't talk about it tomorrow. I'm just so excited about this. Scott Byron, he told me he got in when it's 200. I was just <laughs> rambling, rambling, rambling. I was so excited about it. So eventually I went to bed and woke up the next morning and, uh, you know, talked a little bit about it. And, and this is the kicker, guys. This is going to trip you out. This is my parents. When I was going to leave, my dad, he said, I don't know anything at all about what you're talking about, but you're so excited. He gave me a check. Nice. A check for $6,200. And he said, this is mine. I knew it was mine, but he said, this is mine. <laughs> he said, I want you to give me one of those Bitcoins and keep me up to date on what's going on with it. I love it. I said, all right. <laughs> and my mom was looking at me in the background like, don't worry about it. That's yours. Don't worry about it. This so, so honestly, that was the start of me getting into crypto. That's amazing. That's awesome. That, I love that's gotta that be one of the best stories we've heard. Yeah, the excitement <laughs> level really kind of matches like how exciting it was when you first got into crypto for me too. Like it's just it's when you first learn about what it is and oh, how it works, man. it's just like so fascinating. Well, it brings back those that positive energy, that that vibe we had. And I mean, I still get giddy about crypto. It's just mostly when I'm talking to people that don't know about it, right? And I just right. like, you go to, you know, like you're saying, you are so excited about it and you're so passionate about it. You could just talk forever. Yeah, I mean, it was just because he told me he got into it when it was $200. And he learned about it, got into it. And he told me that when he really understood it, he basically said, his was his words. I banked the Brinks truck up at $200. And obviously when he was talking to me, it was like $6,000. So I have no idea how many he bought or what he did, but <laughs> he was going to Hawaii. And I said, well, what are you going to do in Hawaii? He said, I'm going to open up a mining operation. Oh. And I was like, wow. So after about five or six months after that, we kept in touch. He sent me a lot of emails, introduced me to the Jameson Lop and different books, different articles, just, you know, just inundated me with, so he said, don't worry about it. He said, buying it is great, but learn as much as you can. Learn, 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 learn. If you have questions, you know, text me. And that's what I've been for the last three years from 2017 to now. 
it has been a wild roller coaster ride with Bitcoin. And I am here I am 2020, probably more excited now than I was then because I know so much more now. Right. Seriously, we're all in such a good position right now as far as that's concerned, especially with what's happening with the economy and just yes. knowing where it's about to go. So, I mean, think about how the internet worked at the beginning. The people that knew how to uh, work with the back end and build things on it. And then, of course, the people investing in those people were the first wave of the people that benefited most from, from that, whether it was financially or, or whatever. And the second wave was people that knew how to use it and knew how to build on top of it and build tools that worked alongside it. And, you know, like e-commerce businesses and that kind of stuff. And then social media and, and people building applications around this new tool rather than just building the tool. And so in blockchain, we had like the ICO revolution, which was um, kind of the second phase almost. It was like the beginning transition between the two. You had the first phase of building the early cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin and Ethereum and all those guys. And then you had the people starting to build things on them. And so you had the ICO phase on Ethereum and, every, and all the new uh, protocols that started coming out. And from there, now we have this next thing where the people who know how to use it and interact with blockchains and use wallets and how digital currencies work are going to be so much of an advantage when this new system comes into place, whether it's, I mean, we, we'd be stupid to say that the U.S. government is going to come out and accept Bitcoin or, or start using Bitcoin. But if they implement their own blockchain, we're going to have that almost inside yeah. knowledge of how the technology works, at least at a base level. They're obviously going to make it slightly different, but we have that inside knowledge and we have that jump start to be able to pay closer attention to what people are doing and kind of help it go the way it should and maybe kind of pull it back from that brink a little bit. No, I, I agree with you hundred percent. I mean, it's, uh, I, I just think it's a marvelous technology. There's so many things that we could say about Bitcoin. You know, we talk about the censorship resistance. We talk about the hard money, but to me, the, the biggest thing that I love about Bitcoin is, and I had never really heard this before, but it makes so much sense, is that I had a chance to be my own bank. And I just love that concept. Yeah. Seriously, I, man, I do it, too. It's, it, I mean, just, I'm my own bank. I got my, I, I don't have to worry about Wells Fargo, Wachovia, SunTrust. I can use them, you know, as I need to do, pay my bills, whatever, but I'm my own bank and Unless I mess up or do something crazy, nobody can confiscate it. Nobody can take it away from me. But what I like about it more is if you were to call me up and say, hey, I'm going through some hard times, Chris, I can send you some money. I can send you $300 worth of Bitcoin. I can send you $150 worth of Tezos. You can get it in two seconds. I say, hey, you good, man. Let me know what's going on. I'm my own bank. I don't have to wait in line. I don't have to see what they've taken. To me, that's the most beautiful thing about Bitcoin. They talk about bank banking of the unbanked. I had a bank and I was excited about this. I can't imagine what other countries, Africa, third world countries, where I don't know what the number is, but it's some staggering amount of people that don't have a bank. I, I just, it just, you don't think about that in the States because you just think a bank is a normal thing. But hey, we got institutional banks. That's great. But I love the idea of controlling my own money. And that's what Bitcoin brings. Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it, it's, 
it's something unique to be able to say that and to be able to actually hold and transfer and walk and go anywhere yes. in the world and have your bank in your hip pocket, you know? Yes. And yes. even if you don't, you still have the keys that you can get into that wallet or whatever, anywhere in the world from any computer and make a transaction. So it's pretty amazing. It's amazing. You know, people say, well, it's expensive. You know, you go use an ATM is, you know, would be cheaper. And it's like, well, even your ATMs charge you a $3 fee. So, you know, if it's not your local right. branch, so right. you go to a bank, you know, what percentage is $3 if you're only pulling out 50 bucks? If you need to pull out 50 bucks, you know, they're going to charge you $3 plus your financial institution going to charge you a fee. So you just paid $6 for that 50 bucks. Doesn't make any sense. Um, so let me ask you, Chris, how, how do you buy your crypto? All right. So the main way I buy my crypto is there's three different methods that I use. I'm a big Abra fan. So, you know, Abra is nice because it connects to my bank. So I basically can withdraw from my bank into Abra. And then once it gets into Abra, which only takes maybe two or three days, I then can buy Bitcoin. I can buy Litecoin. I can buy Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum. They, those are the four wallets Abra has. It has a whole bunch of other cryptocurrencies I could buy within Abra, but it's like they don't have wallets with them. So you, you're just able to buy the synthetic coin of it. Okay. So I don't mess with those. I just buy the Bitcoin, the ones that with the wallets. Right. The other way that I've, I've bought by Bitcoin specifically is Cash App. I love yeah. the Cash App. I, don't, I only do the Cash App really though when... Like, it's one of those deals that's too good to be true. Like, you know, um, like, for instance, I get, well, I'm kind of jumping ahead, but I want to give you guys a horror, <laughs> a quick horror story. Cool. I like when horror When I was stories. in Vegas, I was having a good time in Vegas. I bet. We were going out, <laughs> having, going, went to Mandalay Bay, saw Michael Jackson, saw David Copperfield. We come back to the room every night. But of course, every day, I check my blockfolio. The Wednesday that I was in Vegas, you guys know, I don't know if they want to call it Black Wednesday, yeah, Black Thursday. $3,400 or $3,500 Bitcoin, wasn't My it? 35? portfolio yeah. dropped like <laughs> 60%. Oh, yeah. I got, I was quiet that day. Seriously. <laughs> you know, you know that feeling when you just get quiet? Like, yeah, like, I don't even know what to say. What the fuck just happened? <laughs> And I was bouncing in my seat, running to the ATM to buy more crypto. But go on. <laughs> I was quiet as a church mouse. And I said, oh, I'm going to tell you guys Cold in the three, <laughs> the three years that I've been in crypto, that was really the first time where my hands started to get a little bit weak because my portfolio dropped 60%. I lost a lot of money. And I was thinking, maybe I should pull out. Because this thing is not going to stop. But I said, no, I'm, I'm going to just hold on. And I'm so glad I did. I oh, held yeah. on. And slowly it's starting to come back. Not where it was, but it's coming back. But anyway, Cash App, I, didn't buy, I said to myself after that, I'm on the sidelines for a while. But <laughs> if I had the kind of money like people do, that would have been a Cash App time. When right. that thing hit 3000 you go Cash App because Cash App is instantaneous. Oh, yeah. And the third way that I, I've used before is Coinbase. I don't use Coinbase as much, but I got my start on Coinbase. 
uh, from the Scott Scott Byron. He told me about Coinbase, and so I still have my Coinbase account. So between Coinbase, Cash App, and Abra, I kind of use those three to move coins around and use wallets and kind of do what's what's best for me and most efficient to buy my Bitcoin. Right. Well, I was asking because like you're in Florida, so I know there's a lot of coin flip ATMs in Florida. Yes. Um, and those are, I mean, you follow us on Twitter, you see coin flip ATM all the time through us, you know, um, ideal situation. You got 50 bucks in your pocket. You see a, you see a dump coming or you see a dump happen. And right. so like me, I, I'm blessed. I have one like a mile and a half from my house. Well, no, uh-huh. it's about three miles from the house. Might as well be a mile and a half. I just run up to the store and you know, uh-huh. I got 30 bucks, man, buy something. You know, it's just... <laughs> It's so cool to be able to do that. And it's, it's there. It's now it's in my wallet. Right. So, right. Just like that. You know, people say, Oh, well the fees, it's like, well, you get fees everywhere. Yeah. So, you know, what do you want? You pay more for something when it's convenient. I'm down with that. Okay. So Chris, I got to know what prompted your tour of two pretzel factories. Oh, so, so I work for a food company. I work for a food company. They're called Treehouse foods. And we make private label food for all the retailers across the USA. So private label food basically is, uh, it's the food you buy from a retailer that has their own brand on it. So like if you go to Walmart, it'd be great value. If you go to Target, it'd be Archer Farm. If you go to Wegmans, it'd be Wegmans, Kroger, Publix. Every, every, Every retailer has their own food brand. And our company, we make that for them. So one of the things we make are pretzels. So if you go to any store and you're, you're buying uh, um, like Schultz pretzels, peanut butter filled pretzels, pretzel sticks, we have two factories in Pennsylvania, uh, one in Hanover, Hanover pretzels, and one in Lancaster that make pretzels. And so I'm in supply chain. I'm a supply chain guy with the company. So I frequently go to the plants just to kind of meet the people there, see how the plan is running, see how, uh, how efficient it is. Are there any issues? Um, a lot of times I'll take retailers there like Kroger or Walmart or Publix or Winn-Dixie, whatever retail. They might want to go and kind of see the plant and see how we make everything and, you know, and just kind of get a tour of it. And then we may have a meeting about how the pretzel business is going, how we can grow it and so forth and so on. So in that particular time, you know, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Hanover is only about an hour and a half, two hours from each other. I got a chance to visit both plants, uh, killing two birds in one stone. That's awesome. So from the supply chain side, I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on what supply chain challenges can be solved by blockchain technology. Wow. Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing that blockchain technology can do for supply chain is basically being able to verify at any particular point in time where something is. So we're kind of already doing that now a little bit with something called RFID. Uh, We have that on a lot of our pallets. So like if we put a pallet of pretzels uh, on a truck and it's an RFID pallet, we have like the sensors to be able to track where that pallet is. So we can say it left hand over. Okay, now it's in um, Columbia, South Carolina. Okay, now it's in Lakeland, Florida. Okay, it just arrived at uh, the DC. Now we know where that pallet is so that we can, as they stack the pallets up, we can have somebody come and pick the pallets up. So we, ha- we do that a little bit, 
But I think the blockchain is another level because it's, it can't be changed. You have a track record of where everything is. So from a food quality, food packaging, especially as we get more things from overseas, that whole global market, I think it just makes things a lot safer and more efficient when you're able to track it along the way. At the same time, I think it also gives customers better satisfaction because sometimes when we get stuff overseas, especially if it's on a slow boat to China, you have no idea where it is. All you know, it's on a slow boat in the middle of the ocean. But with the blockchain piece of it, as that begins to ramp up, we don't have that technology fine-tuned yet because it's pretty expensive. But I think once they get that, just the efficiency, the customer service, the on-time delivery, all those things that make for a good supply chain are going to be so much more improved. Yeah, it definitely takes it to the next level. It sounds like you kind of already have the physical infrastructure in place to support it. And so blockchain would just be bringing in a new backend to house the data more or less, you know? So, um, yep. but like you say, it's expensive and there's so many issues right now as to which protocol do you use? What blockchain do you use? You know, like uh, which one's going to be secure and or fast enough? And do we have the proper balance yet? That's, that's the biggest issue right now with consensus mechanisms is trying to find one that's both secure and scalable and still actually is, is, non-biased and you don't have issues like you do with some of the proof of, of stake chains but i don't know I, I think it's going to be a really cool thing to see those link up and once you have those sensors integrated with storing all the data on the blockchain then uh, as uh, hacking becomes easier on these bigger systems you don't have to worry about these massive because because we're talking like large scale like countries attacking right. each other here right in the, in the future so um, hacking in and totally manipulating all of the supply chain records is not out of the question and so having that on a blockchain prevents that type of issue. You can't have one massive corporation hack another massive corporation and totally destroy their supply chain records or change them up in a way that benefits them or that they can steal all of the shit because of the supply chains all fucked up and everybody thinks they've got everything and nobody notices <laughs> anything for two weeks. And then there's $500 million of product missing. So I think it's going to be a cool evolution. Uh, it's going to be a bumpy ride though, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I agree with you. A hundred percent. And when that comes, I think it'll be sweet. But honestly, to tell you the truth, I'm more in the camp of after three years, I think I have finally gotten to the camp where blockchain is about money. And the only thing that really, to me, makes sense is Bitcoin on the blockchain because that's money. Everything else, yeah, real estate. I mean, I agree. That's all good. And, if, and if, if we get to the point there's companies doing that, that's great. But there's ways, there's other ways. We, we can always find ways to do that. But the money part of the blockchain to me is what I love to see. And what gets me excited about it is that that's the part that's immutable. It can't be changed. It can't, it can be, you can, you know, everything else, you know, as it continues to evolve, I think that'll be great. But I'm not... I'm more excited about the money part of it than the other stuff. Yeah, that it really sense? goes hand in hand though, right? I mean, because right now we have a lot of those projects that are broken out and they don't consider themselves a currency or they don't have any monetary right. value per se other than speculative investment value. But in the end, you're realistically going to come down to the point where there's private blockchains, which are like those, mm. you know, the current tokens right now. They're going to be private blockchains and they'll have mm -hmm. a purpose, but you're still going to have to trust an entity with the blockchain. But right. then there's going to be a couple major chains that are going to be like Bitcoin and Litecoin and Ethereum, things like that, 
uh, evolutions thereof, but something that has monetary value and can be used as a currency and has all the properties of a good cryptocurrency, but is also tokenizable like Ethereum is so that people can build dApps and everything on a blockchain mm-hmm. that is now extremely widely used. There's financial benefit for holding it, mining it, staking it, whatever your mechanism mm-hmm. is or mechanism supports. And uh, it can also help build these secure applications. So now you have a way of implementing a secure decentralized application that is built on a worldwide blockchain that has so is so broadly spread that 50% yeah. attacks and that kind of stuff are highly unlikely and almost impossible. And yep. that's when it really starts to get beautiful. We sh- we're building all the pieces. We've not yeah. put them together yet. We're getting there though. Absolutely. 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 It's exciting. It's an exciting time to be. I mean, it's hard to believe it's like, Three years feels like 30 years. It's crazy. Seriously. But at the same time, it feels just like yesterday. Yeah. People keep saying that we're early adopters. I'm like, I feel like, and I think about the OGs that got in like back in 2009, 10, 11. They must feel like they're like, you know, 90 years old. But people say that we're still early. We are still early in this. It's like, wow, I've been in for three years and I'm early. So it's an exciting time for sure. Absolutely. I, I see, you know, you've, you've followed, we followed each other actually on Twitter for quite some time now. Uh, I got to ask, who, who's your favorite Twitter personality? And you don't have to answer the crypto campfire. That's all right. <laughs> oh, my favorite. I mean, I mean who, do you, who do you rate, like really like to interact with or, you know, enjoy what they put out? Um, I, I got quite a few, but the guy that trips me out a lot is this guy named David Gokstein. Oh yeah, David. <laughs> did you did you catch did you I catch like, the interview like, we did with him? No, no, oh, no. Oh my god, I, you no. gotta go back and look at the interview we did say, with him. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, you know, that's one person. I'm glad I'm meeting you guys, but I always say if there's one person I want to meet face to face, because I used to go to New York quite a bit. I would love to meet with David up in New York at a nice steak restaurant. Oh, yeah. Because he just seems like such a character. He is a character. He is a character. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. It's, it's funny, too, because I think it's because of him that I know that you exist, or at least did at the time, because this was also either late 2017 or early 2018 when I think mm-hmm. I first ran across you. And it was uh, he had retweeted something of yours, and it was like, this dude is always putting out crazy awesome positive content check him out or something like that and he yeah he like retweeted you and and i was so i started following you at that point so it's really funny that that's actually how that came to be but <laughs> no i mean i i love it I, i've never met the guy but i love him man he, he's just you know he's got he gave swag. Him so he's just, much shit on our podcast it was so much fun well, Mitch, you got to ask him the question yeah. that you asked David. Yeah, David is oh, a character. Oh, God. Man. Are you asking oh, no, me question, that? Yeah, I was going to say. The penguin, the penguin question, remember? <laughs> the which one? Okay, okay, so Penguin walks oh, yeah, into yeah, a bar. Yeah. <laughs> this is the one that we asked him, and he was just like, what the he fuck? He was like, which I understand. It, just because, totally, it was dead silence. Yeah, it was great, because Mitch has asked it two more times now, and <laughs> yeah. every time I hear it, I'm like, I don't even know how I would answer that question. So we're going to throw it at you. So, so a penguin walks into a bar wearing a cowboy hat. Why is he there and what does he say? <laughs> Why is he there and what does he ask for? <laughs> oh my God. Huh. <laughs> Why is he there? He's there to get a drink to get out of the cold. What does he say? Um, uh, uh, that is one of the weirdest questions. 
What is I don't know there's there's no there. right answer. It's just uh, whatever you want to say. I mean, I don't know if there is a good answer though <laughs> at all. <laughs> hey, I bet question. David was like, the, "What the?" I know, yeah, I know. He was like, "What?" He was like, "What the fuck is this?" And I was like, like "You got to answer." Yeah, I don't yeah, know yeah, you should answer the question. Something else, man. Yo, it's for you. Got to go back and listen to yeah. that podcast. I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. David's up there is one of my favorites. I like, I like his style. He's awesome. He went on a rant one time and it was the first time I had ever heard him live. And it was about Justin's son and some, the dinner he was doing with Warren Buffett or whatever. Yeah. And David just went off the deep freaking end. And I was in tears listening to this guy. I was laughing so damn hard. Um, but it was pretty yeah, he actually crazy. interviewed Justin. I never actually listened to that though. I should maybe go back and listen to it and see if it was really good. Okay. Maybe he, yeah. Maybe he I might have to also. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I think the beautiful thing about Twitter is, and, and I, I think I specifically mentioned David because if you're on it long enough and you follow the people long enough, you see how they've changed. You see people transform right before your eyes on Twitter. Uh-huh. I mean, when I first started listening to David, he was just in his car, listening to rap music, ranting and raving about all kinds of stuff. And then slowly, <laughs> he was just like a wild man, just, in, and then mm-hmm. slowly, you know, he started getting his him. magazine. Then next thing you know, he's all suit and tied up. But and next thing you know, that transition was funny, right? When he got his he's logo, running for he really senator. He's trying to be a senator now in yeah. New York. I'm like, what? Dang, so right? he's just... He's just taking his whole game to a totally new level. If oh, nothing yeah. else, he's got ambition out the ass. I'll tell yes, you that he much. does. <laughs> For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. Chris, I can't believe it's almost been an hour. This has been an amazing podcast with you, sir. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great time. Absolutely been a great time. I've had a lot of fun. Thank you. Yeah, both we're definitely going to have to do this again. Definitely. That's for sure. Yeah, because I, I, we still had about 15 more questions to ask, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> we could have made a double header out of this one. Oh, so you have yourself a great night, sir, and um, we will see you on Twitter. All right. Sounds good. Be safe, guys, and you guys uh, have a great evening. Thanks. You too. Bye-bye. Take it easy. Peace. That was awesome. Yeah, it was. He's always just positive and his energy is always so just crazy amazing. Yeah. He's always putting it out there and, and it's like you just feel happy when you're interacting with him. So it was like a no-brainer to get him on the podcast. And it was really cool to actually have that that conversation with him. And uh I don't know, there's like so many more. I don't even know. I was really tempted to to just be like, fuck it, let's just go two hours. I know, right? I mean but I'm like, God, I got so much shit to do tonight. But yeah, we're gonna have to get him back. Yeah, we're definitely gonna have to get him back on, and we might as well save our save our sheet <laughs> for yeah, the we'll next one. We'll sheet. just pick we'll up just where we it. left off. <laughs> Dang, uh, it was what good. A, yeah, it was. It was a great time. But yeah, I mean, you know, it's it's easy because it's on the tip of everybody's tongue right now. You know, this this whole COVID thing, and it's just there's a lot of frustrating frustration starting to build. And it's, I think it's going to get worse. And if it, if it continues, um, you know, the biggest problem is the states have been, they've been chasing it instead of getting, they've been reactive instead of proactive. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think there was a shit ton of hesitation at, and, and understandably so in some cases and not in others, but right. a little bit of hesitation at the beginning from like, okay, I mean, are we really believing this are we are we overreacting are people going to think we're fucking crazy for shutting down everything i I think a lot of people are 
so conditioned to see crazy things right uh reported on or being told that crazy things are happening and then find out it just wasn't a big deal because everybody over sensationalizes everything yeah and so there's that natural tendency that you you know it's the cry wolf effect kind of right like i can look at you know look at the look at the way michigan progressed right the first thing was they shut down bars restaurants you know stuff like that where people gather and they shut down the sporting events and then they shut down you know um different things where people would gather in more than groups. And then they told you, okay, so you got a social distance. You got to stay six feet away. Well, from week to week, it would change. And then, you know, the following week, well, that didn't work. So let's do this. Well, that, and then the following week, well, that didn't work. So now let's do this. And it just gets more extreme each time. And it's like, it's like they're chasing it and expecting one week to make a difference. Yeah. I see exactly what you're saying. I, I feel like, maybe what should have happened is the minute you made the decision that, okay, this was serious. We need to do something about it. Don't fucking half ass right. it. Just go all the way, do it now. Shut Balls it down. Deep or nothing. Get through I mean, it. Seriously. And then you're good. Yeah, exactly. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I can sit here well, from, I, yeah, from my chair and profess right. it and exactly. think I know what's best. And yeah. I really have no idea other than what I've seen on the media or what other sources I can find. But right. I think it's a really hard decision either way when you come down to it because there's still a small group of people that have a massive amount of fucking pressure on them to make a kind of really life-altering decision for a lot of people. Either way, you make that decision. Either you're going to have a lot more deaths from this or you're going to have a lot more people down and out and possibly dying from other side effects of having everything shut down. So it's kind of a fucking lose-lose situation when you're in kind of a disaster or crisis like this. So I don't know. It's it's really hard to say what decision should be made, but I feel like, you know, in some cases there definitely could have been some improvement. Oh, for sure. And it, like you said, you know, we're sitting here and it's, everything's easier from the sidelines. Everything's easier to see, to see retrospectively. Everything's easier to critique when it's not you, when it's not you, the one making the decisions. Um, we can all do it better. I don't care who you are and what you're doing. I can do it better. That's just, that's just how anything you can do. I can do. Right. Exactly. That's just how humans are. (laughs) I mean, for the most part. So yeah. When you're actually there doing it, it's totally different. You know, Uh you know, like, like that time you got into a fight and your buddy, your buddy says, Oh, well you should have. And I would have, and I would have, and you're like, really, you would have done what? How do you know? Yeah, so long as you didn't get knocked on your ass yeah. on the first punch. Right. Let's, let's see you. Were you there? <laughs> right. Were you there? Did, 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 no. So, yeah. I would have just asked you little bitch. Yeah. Right. right. Sure you would have. Okay. Until <laughs> you saw him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. But anyways, guys, this has been a great evening. We hope you enjoyed the show. Chris is a great guy. If you get a chance, look him up on Twitter. Get out there and use your crypto ATMs, your coin flip crypto ATMs to be exact. Uh, They got the lowest fees in the industry. Great group of guys. I can't wait till we get another get together. Speaking of that, I can't wait to get together with all of my crypto family. It's been a long time. Check it out. Coinflip.tech. Find the map. Find a coin flip ATM in your area. And as soon as you're allowed to go out and use one, go out and use one. In the meantime, you can buy Bitcoin and other currencies on their website. That's right. That's right. So until next time, guys, you have yourselves a great evening. We will talk to you soon. Take it easy. Peace.